Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Do you constantly struggle with your weight no matter what diet or exercise regimen you try? The reason you're not seeing results could be due to an unhealthy liver. When your liver is overloaded, it stores fat, which slows your metabolism and leads to excess weight gain. Joining us is Dr. Alan Christensen, number one best-selling author of The Metabolism Reset Diet. His four-week cleanse is going to help you unlock the key to rapid, sustained weight loss, increased energy, and better digestion. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a naturopathic medical doctor who specializes in endocrinology. He's authored several books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Adrenal Reset Diet. His TV appearances include Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The Today Show. He's written articles for Women's World, Huffington Post, Newsmax, and Mind Body Green, just to name a few. He's the founding president of the Endocrine Association for Naturopathic Physicians. Welcome to the show, author of The Metabolism Reset Diet, Dr. Alan Christensen. <laughs> hey, Dr. Friedman. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here with you. Uh, great to have you with us. First, share the, with the listeners, what inspired you to write this new book, The Metabolism Diet? Yeah. You know, I've seen just for so long, the top struggles people have told me about have been their weight and their energy. And I think most have an, a sense that, you know, if they starve or skimp hard enough, they can drop a few pounds, but they feel awful and it comes right back and they're exhausted during the process. So I wanted to help share a way that we found in the clinic to change that and have someone just get off the whole dieting train. Yeah, that's great. You know, with so many diets out there, we got the blood type, the body type, the ketos, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem. <laughs> when people follow these diet doc, they actually, they lose weight. The challenge is, is keeping it off. And I read that 95% of people yeah. that start a diet gain the weight back within a year. Share with us why so many different diets initially work, but the results don't last. Well, that's the thing is that any way that you skimp enough, your body will borrow from storage. But when your liver is healthy, it can keep you at a good weight despite all of that. And so the problem is that dieting takes away something your liver needs in order to work well, and that's glycogen. So many right. diets leave your liver lower in glycogen, and after the fact, your body has even a harder time maintaining weight. Right. <clears throat> and I know it's called the metabolism diet. And, and, you know, I've heard for years that people are either born with a great metabolism or a bad one. In your book, you debunk this by sharing <laughs> how our metabolism actually isn't set in stone. Share with us how you discovered someone's metabolism can actually be reset. Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So we started using a protocol back in 2011 that was for helping to reverse diabetes. And we were also measuring basal metabolic rate for people. You, know, you can quantify how fast or slow someone's metabolism is. And what we saw is that when people followed this protocol properly, that their resting metabolism was higher afterward and it would stay there for a long time. So that, that's where this is different. It's not like, you know, 50 new rules to live by forever. It's a way you can change your body. And afterward, a reasonable, healthy diet in a lot of different ways can work better than it did in the past. Right. I know your book focuses on uh, waste loss instead of weight loss. That's interesting little spin. Share with us what's the difference. Yeah. So another problem with many diets is that you can lose weight in ways that are not healthy. There's a lot of evidence saying that your body composition and your muscle mass is a big predictor of your long-term health and also your long-term weight success. And it turns out that waste 
is a stronger predictor of long-term health than just scale weight is. And if someone's losing weight and their waist is not improving, they're getting less healthy. They're getting a worse metabolism. But if they're seeing small to moderate amounts of weight loss, but really big amounts of waist loss, they're moving into a brand new system. They're going to reach a state in which their body can keep them there afterward. Yeah. And there's lots of data, too, talking about long-term mortality risk. So one's height-to-weight ratio can be a stronger predictor of mortality than even things like blood pressure or body mass index or even cholesterol levels. Super important. Because what people don't realize is that that waste that's, that they fill the fat, it goes much deeper, right? It can get into the organs, and, you know, that's what can be life-threatening versus, you know, the little uh, fat that people have under their arms that's, you know, Cosmo, that uh, I, I hate walking out being seen like this, but that's not dangerous. The weight that we're talking about is, is health, health uh, beneficial, right, to get that, that out of the way. You're exactly right. So there's the fat under the skin, the subcutaneous fat, and that's the stuff that, like you said, under the arms or or other places. And we may not like it, but it doesn't affect our health, really. And then there's the visceral fat, which has been talked about for quite a while, the belly fat. And now we've learned the belly fat is not as bad as we thought. It's only bad when it spills over into organ fat. So when there's no more room for belly fat, then it starts spilling over inside the liver and the pancreas. And that's when we really see disease, quality of life, and longevity all take a real hit. Great. Well, people see their waist get trimmer <clears throat> excuse me, when they do the 28-day program that you've detailed? Boy, do they ever. You know, and that's, that's one of the most exciting parts. We'll commonly see, so most data suggests that a woman would expect 6 to 10 pounds of weight loss to see an inch of weight loss. Right. And we'll commonly see people lose 3 to 5 pounds, but at the same time, they'll lose 3 to 5 inches. So they're seeing a huge resculpting in their body. You know, a couple dress sizes is actually an average change. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Now, are there certain foods that are off limits? Share with us, what is the metabolism reset diet? Is there certain foods that people love that they have to stay off for 28 days? Yeah, you know, in a big overview mindset is that it's, it's really designed to affect a change. And there's things that are done in the 28 days that are not really relevant outside the 28 days. And it's not even a matter of a food list per se. It's really a strategy of, getting some things you need, but getting small enough amounts of fuel, you know, lowering both fat and carb, but getting enough protein, getting enough resistant starch, having a whole lot of different kinds of fiber, and then the right kind of plant foods to keep the liver healthy. Got it. Have you found, is there certain foods that keep our metabolism working better and foods that may do the opposite? Yeah. One one food that's one of the most dramatically helpful for the metabolism is a thing called resistant starch. So we find that in some white beans, like navy, northern, cannellini beans, there's some of that in potatoes when they're boiled, Um, certainly not fries or Mm -hmm. (laughs) potato chips. There's some of that in plantains and bananas. Yeah, and it's a powerful thing that helps to change liver function and also stabilize blood sugar for long periods of time. That's great. I know it was once believed that alcohol is what damages the liver. I know when I was in college, that was the, the thing to watch out for. But 100 million Americans now have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And, Doc, that's a third of the country. That's a lot of people. Share with the listeners why a fatty oh, liver boy. is so common. It's crazy common. And there's there's different stats you'll see. For sure, there's data saying it could be that, that common. And alcohol can cause the same problems. But the funny thing is that um, alcohol and carbohydrate and fat and ketones they're all when when they're broken down for energy purposes they're all broken down to the same molecule and that's called oxaloacetate 
And in the book, I talk I talk about that as fuel. You know, it really isn't fat versus carbs versus ketones. They they all do what alcohol can do when they're broken down and the body's not processing them. So so yeah, fatty liver is rampant. And like a lot of diseases, there's a place where we say this is now fatty liver. You know, if you analyze more closely and someone's liver has more than five percent fat by weight, that's where you draw that line. But you can imagine that 4.9% is not wonderful, you know? So yeah. there's a big continuum, and most people who are struggling with their waste, with their appetite, they're often somewhere in that continuum. The liver's often part of it. <clears throat> right. So is there a way people can tell? Because I know it just shocked some people. They said, wow, that's one-third of America. How do they know if they have fatty liver? Is there a certain test they can have? What do you recommend? You know, one one of the easiest, most accessible ways to get a strong suspicion is to look at common blood tests. There's a thing called ALT, which is a part of almost every blood panel that's ever done, part of the chemistry right. panel. And ALT, there's a normal range, but they're in pretty strong agreement that the normal range doesn't really apply to fatty liver disease. So if you're a woman and your ALT score is above 19, you're generally well inside normal, but there's probably something wrong. And barring more exotic causes, fatty liver is the most common culprit. If, if you're a man, you know, guys, we get leeway up to 30, but that's also well within the normal range. So, yeah, most people have access to their lab tests nowadays. You can look back at uh-huh. your recent labs. Within those, they would have had a chemistry panel. And then just look at that ALT score. Wow. What's your opinion on these liver cleanse products? I mean, Doc, there's so many out there. you got the herbal detox teas, the essential oils, charcoal tablets to apple cider vinegar. Do any of them actually work? Do we need to clean our liver <laughs> like like we do our dishes? <laughs> well, not so much like the dishes. And you know, the, the main thing that's harmful for the liver is this overloaded fuel, and it becomes a toxic type of triglyceride. And there's compounds that do somewhat protect the liver against chemical damage, things like milk thistle or whatnot, but, but none of those things really make a big difference against the toxic fat inside the liver. In that case, it's more a matter of just the liver itself getting itself reset and getting that toxic fat taken out. So if you if you give it if you live a healthy lifestyle, you eat the proper foods, avoid other foods, can, that can cleanse the liver, right? You don't have to per se go do a liver ten day liver cleanse that you see at the health food store, correct? Um, there certainly are many people that do the do the right things and don't run into these problems. But uh-huh. when it does get to where the liver is in in a bad state, it can take some targeted strategies. You know, sometimes the things that are adequate for preventive purposes are not enough for corrective purposes. Right. And, and you're right, I don't advocate most of the common cleanses you see, but done strategically, like in the 28-day process that we outline, then yeah, the liver can change itself. Right. And that's the exciting part is that <clears throat> as central as this organ is to your health, it's something that can really fix in a short period of time. Yeah, I know I've been uh, researching a lot on these environmental toxins that so many people are exposed to, their endocrine disruptors, which of course can affect your weight. I'm curious, what's your view on this chemical exposure creating obstacles when it comes to losing weight? Is that part of our problem, why we keep yo-yoing and can't lose? It, It completely is, and the liver's the connection there. So when the liver has a big burden of more chemicals to process, it has less of an ability to regulate the body's fuel. You know, a healthy liver stores fuel after a meal and releases that between meals when your body needs it. But when there's chemical stress, when there's a lack of micronutrients, when there's other problems like that, you can't do that. And it can still store, it can pretty much always store because it has to, but it can't retrieve the fuel. 
And the combination you got there is more more fat building up inside the liver, which creates a larger waste. And and then even though there's this fat, which could be an energy source, the body can tap into it. So along with this buildup of stuck fuel, you just wiped out and your energy really gets unstable and you're more reliant upon caffeine or sugar and and you're just less brain function as well. Yeah. Are there any tips that you can share on how people can avoid being exposed to environmental toxins? Is one of the big key just read labels and be careful what we're putting into our mouths? You know, for sure, the biggest source in terms of quantity of toxicants that we assimilate by far is what we breathe in. You know, the, the quantities there are just magnitudes of order higher than they are than what we consume from food or water. They're all relevant, but, but yeah, if you're not managing your air, changing the other parts won't make a big difference. You know, some thoughts there, just not wearing shoes inside or having designated shoes to wear inside. Uh, a lot of the waste that we're exposed to through our air are things that we track in and they end up just disseminating throughout our living space. Then the other big source is going to be byproducts from <coughs> building materials, fabrics, uh, also paints and whatnot. So, right. so, yeah, having some good quality reduction of unnecessary fabrics, air filtration and air purifiers need be, and then minimizing the use of outdoor shoes in the home. Yeah, and one thing I'm guilty of that, that I do now that when I can think of is I open my windows. You know, I get so involved with what I'm doing, my work, and it's like the air inside is just so, like you said, it's one of the biggest culprits, especially if you've got dust or in through the air duct. But, man, if we just open our windows and let fresh air in, right, that's something a lot of us neglect. That's, I'm guilty. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. And, you know, even if you're somewhere to where the outdoor air perhaps is not ideal, like if you're in a city or something, even in those cases, what's going to come in from outside is just way, way, way cleaner than what is circulating inside the house. So yeah, that's a hugely, hugely good point. So true, though. Let me ask you, so when we're talking about liver, you know, we mentioned a little bit about how alcohol used to be to blame for, for all liver problems back in the day, and now we know so much more. Is alcohol allowed on your program, or is it completely off limits? Well, so the alcohol thing, alcohol still causes liver disease for sure, but uh-huh. many people have this, this liver disease without a high alcohol intake. So alcohol is like fats and carbs and ketones right. in that it has oxaloacetate, but it's the hardest thing in terms of also breaking down glycogen stores. So during the reset phase, we do, inc- we do encourage an avoidance of alcohol. Got it. And then later on in moderation, if someone wants to, you know, wine, maybe a glass of wine on the weekends, is that something that you condone? You know, uh, personal preference for people, no, no big issues, a, a bit here and there. And that's the exciting thing about the whole reset, pro- reset process is that I think everyone knows people that do most of the things right and seem to be healthy, but they don't do it perfectly. And really, when your body is thriving and your liver's working well, that's how it should be. You shouldn't have to micromanage every tiny little detail. Your body can balance those things. So that's the trick is how do you make that switch and change over the course of 28 days to where afterward, a lot of these little choices are just not as important because your body can deal with it. Yeah. I know with, I, I talk to a lot of people and they say, you know, I can follow a program, I can do the lunch and the dinner and the breakfast, but it's the snacks that get them. You know, they get back from that stressed out work and they sit in front of the TV and, you know, and, and I'm guilty of that as well. You know, I love to, to nosh and, you know, I think uh, watching a movie without popcorn used to be sacrilegious, but I had to really get away from that popcorn <laughs> because corn's inflammatory. What are some healthy snacks, anything that you recommend on the metabolism reset diet that people can reach for? You know, that was an awesome question. We, we actually built in unlimited snacks to the program. And these are things that are primarily vegetable-based. Some things are just vegetables as they are. And there's also a lot of dishes you can make out of vegetables. Like uh, uh, my wife makes these awesome carrot fries. And uh, there's some really good 
kale chips and some savory right. ratatouilles. So there's tons of great things you can make to have on hand for snacks. And what, what I see is that part of your body working better, too, is that when your blood sugar is more smoothly regulated, then your appetite becomes something that you've got more of a handle over. You know, you can, you can take it or leave it. Right. I've, I've tracked lots of people using a continuous glucose meter and watched their blood sugar 24-7, so like a week at a time. And what seems to be the case is that when they are getting a strong impulse to snack or, you know, have sweet things or whatever else, that's usually when their blood sugar either is low or is rapidly declining. So right. when the liver gets healthier, the blood sugar stays more steady. And you just don't, it seems like it's almost like you wanting this thing, but it's really a function of your blood sugar changing. So when that doesn't happen, that those cravings are just something that either you don't get or they're just very, they're not very compelling. Wow, that's interesting. What about exercise? Is that something you recommend during that four-week program or should we cut back off of that? Because of course, exercise makes you hungry, makes you want to eat more. You're exactly right. You know, and what's happened for a lot of people is that they've often gone through cycles of radically restricting their food intake and then radically ramping up their exercise. And, and that's hard on the metabolism. That puts a high amount of stress on the body and they, makes the body less able to break down fat stores and we have to hold on to fat stores. So during the 28 days, I, I do encourage some exercise. I give some pretty exact guidelines. It ain't a lot. <laughs> it might be less than people are used to, but it's really just to keep the muscles engaged and keep the body moving well. And then afterwards, exercise is the best thing in the world for enjoyment and endorphins and keeping your body stable and healthy. But during a time of transition like that, it's something you've got to be very strategic about. And you, you can overdo it during a time of, of fat breakdown. Yeah, I was uh, doing a treadmill next to a, a lady and she was running, sweating. And, and I heard her say, I've earned that donut tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of people, they exercise and they say, oh, I made room for eating crappy. So I think exercise, you know, sometimes can actually be a, a scapegoat. <laughs> there is one, I did, t I did tell her, I had to tell her there is one healthy part of the donut and that's the hole, the center. That's the part you can have. That's just the air. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. what I, yeah. Let me tell you, what, what I, I love most about the liver, you know, compared to all the other organs, that's why I'm excited that you're bringing this topic up, is how resilient that organ is. I mean, you can have 75% of your liver cut off and it can actually grow back from the remaining 25%. And of course, that's not the case with other organs like the brain, heart, spleen, or pancreas. Knowing that the liver is able to bounce back like that, how long would it take if somebody followed the protocols in your book and they would get their liver restored? What have you found? You know, we've got tons and tons of case stories looking at fatty liver and diabetes to where it's, it really is 28 days. And there have been studies saying that when people have liver failure from something like Tylenol overdose, in the right circumstances, they've got a new liver in about 28 days. So that's why the time frame of the program was the way it was. And you can see very measurable change in that time frame quite easily. That's great, great stuff. So in the two minutes we got left, anything else you want to share about uh, metabolism, liver, and why should everybody get this book that's listening? You know, the big thing is that if it's been a struggle, if whenever you lower your food intake, you feel awful, and if you eat as much as feels good, your weight goes up, that something is wrong. It isn't a matter of your willpower or you're not trying hard enough. Your body's not working right in some way. And the awesome part of the story is it can change. It can change promptly and you can retire from living your life as a chronic dieter. <laughs> yeah, especially 28 days, that's not a lot of time. I mean, people, you know, 
you're not t- talking 28 months. Those are days. We got to reiterate that. That's that's pretty quick to see changes. Yeah. Anybody anybody can follow a protocol for 28 days, especially when they see that uh, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, that's and it's so accessible quickly, <laughs> right? You know, it's you see some of these diets. The, which, one, the one side effect is there's often word, there's often wardrobe problems afterwards from the, from the waist loss. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing such great information. To get your copy of the Metabolism Reset Diet, go to drchristensen.com. And while there, be sure and sign up for his free newsletter and stay up to date with all the latest research and tips on how you can reset your health and your life. You'll have access to shake and food recipes and videos and articles sent right to your inbox. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Alan Christensen. And for my daily Facebook post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Christensen say, share something today that you just know somebody would benefit from hearing, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments of interest with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe. Subscribe to our future podcast on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.